Uh, strength and condition, honestly, man, most of the times it's a game of attrition. If you look around with a lot of guys that you know you might come or or females that you come in the profession with, a lot of them quit before their big break comes or just you know pivot. A lot of times you just stay down and stay humble and keep working towards your goals. That's when it comes through for you. A lot of people don't coach more than five years if you look at the numbers. So I would say a big part of it is a game of attrition. Welcome to the Find the Gap podcast, where we're going to focus on the health and well-being of the support personnel and practitioners within high-performance sport. This will act as a platform for practitioners to share their own insights and experiences that have helped them to progress to where they are today, as well as being a safe environment which they can touch upon moments of vulnerability and other emotional battles that they have had to overcome in order to be successful. My name is Sam, and thanks for joining me on Find the Gap podcast. This podcast episode is brought to you by Team Builder. Team Builder is a software that performance coaches all around the world are using to build programs, distribute workouts, and track athlete progress. It is the perfect fit for professional and academy teams, sports physios, gym owners, schools, and universities. The platform includes multiple max tracking methods, 16 plus reports, evaluation testing, and goal setting features. Coaches also have the access to consultation with Team Builder's in-house sports scientists to help manage and analyze data. Head to teambuilder.com and sign up for the promo code FTG to start your 30-day free trial. On today's episode of the podcast, I'm talking to Jason Wooding, and Jason is the Associate Director at the University of Maryland, mainly in the department of the uh, the football department, um, so really keen to have a chat to him and get his insights in the, the world of college football and uh, to uh, to dive into his uh, insights into uh, what he calls the game of attrition of strength conditioning in um, uh, over in America and obviously around the world. So without any further ado, here is the episode with Jason Wooding. Um, cool. Jason, mate, thank you so much for jumping on this episode of the podcast. How are you doing this evening? I'm great, man. Thank you for having me on, boss. It's a pleasure. Mate, thank you. It's it's a pleasure of mine to have you on. So I know you do big days. You just finished late today. So what was your day like today? Uh, today was was pretty, pretty chill, man. So we're going through our bye week now. I'm at University of Maryland football strength coach. So uh, today we had lifts. We have the uh, developmental group, which is like our red shirts and our freshmen that lift in the morning, start at 6 a.m. Um, from there, we go 7 a.m. and 9 a.m. for our travel groups. A uh, little downtime in between, work with some paperwork, get some little things done around the office. And then we practice at about 3 o'clock today. It usually runs for about two hours. Uh, then dinner afterwards. And then, um, yeah, man, I came home. Yeah, nice. Well, then just so I just said that you're at Maryland, um, University of Maryland at the moment. Um, can you give me just a bit more of a background yourself, introduction, typical kind of podcast thing where we go through, you know, oh, maybe yeah, some education, sure, sure. just, yeah, whatever you want to include. So I'm from Langley Park, Maryland, which is a uh, a town in Maryland, Prince George's County. Um, when people ask me, I just tell them, you know, about 20 minutes from D.C. because nobody knows about Maryland if you're not from the East Coast. So it's just easier to say that 20 minutes from D.C. Um Grew up youngest of five. Um, parents are Im- immigrated from the Caribbean, so Trinidad, St. Lucia. Um, grew up playing sports, football, basketball, track and field. Tried my hand a little soccer. Wasn't too good at that one, so I stuck to the to the others. 
Um, went to high school in D.C. with Dunbar, D.C. It's a pretty uh, prominent high school for sports in the uh, DMV area. Uh, from there, I went on to play my college football at uh, Howard University. I played linebacker and played a little bit of short yardage running back, fullback. If you know anything about triple option, I was the B-back. So, like, the power back and a triple option. I don't know why we ran a triple option, but we did run it for one year. So, yeah, uh, nice. that's that. Uh <laughs> Majored in physical therapy uh, with my undergrad concentration. So that was my goal originally coming out of uh, college to be a physical therapist. Unfortunately, um, my grades didn't agree with that decision. Uh, early on, freshman, sophomore year, I kind of messed up in school a little bit. So I couldn't get accepted into physical therapy school. So I started searching for what was next for me. Um, from there, I kind of explored my options. I was working like like a physical therapy clinic, uh, Georgetown University Hospital. Um, from there, I was try I was gonna try my hand in nursing. I actually got accepted into nursing school. I was gonna pursue that, um, but at the same time, I got accepted into nursing. I got an offer for grad assistantship, which was at Mercer University, and that's kind of what started my my journey. So I interned at Howard University right before then. A good friend of mine, Rodney Hill, who's now at uh, Arkansas University of Arkansas football. Mm -hmm. Uh, from there, I went to Mercer, did my grad degree, and was a grad assistant for the sports team. So if people want to know about how grad assistants work, they basically pay for your schooling. And in return, you're basically working for the university for free in return for education. So I worked, mm -hmm. I trained the teams. I had volleyball, indoor, and sand. I worked with football, of course, worked with lacrosse, uh, men's and women's basketball. Um, I had tennis. And then a few others as well. Softball. Can't forget about softball. Mm -hmm. uh, from there, um, once I graduated, I was looking for job opportunities, right? So, you know, it's it's hard to break into the industry to get a job. So I was applying probably 10 to 15 jobs a day. Indeed.com, Monster, any app you could think about, I was on there. Um, from there, I got my first internship post-grad at American University, which is a um, – prestigious institution in Washington, D.C. Mm -hmm. Did that for a few months till I got back on my feet. And from there, I got my first paid gig at the University of Houston with uh, Coach Alan Bishop, working with men's basketball. Uh, great opportunity. Learned a lot being out there. Um, and from there, I kind of started my journey, man. I got a full-time job at Texas Tech working football underneath Dave Shows. Did that for two seasons and some change. And then that's what brought me um, here at University of Maryland. I got, got here in 2021, and I've uh, been here ever since. And this is home for me. So it was a a real full circle moment to come back to, you know, my hometown where I grew up and be able to coach at a high level where I'm from, which doesn't happen often in sports because most school, big schools are in very small towns and not in mm. the city environment. So mm -hmm. that was big for me, man. Yeah, definitely. We had to come home. That's huge. Um, especially people that travel to different states, different different cities, uh, different you know different countries sometimes. But um, when you were with your um, your first internship, no, sorry, your graduate assistant role uh, at Mercer, uh, and you had that exposure to all these different sports. Like, did you feel like you just like flocked towards football because you of your past playing it, or like, would you always see yourself being involved in football? Nah, you know, actually, I didn't mind, man. Selfishly, you know, football pays the most money, so it's the, the best to go into financially. Yeah. So that was kind of some of my selfish um, behavior getting the best of me. But, nah, I, I mean, I love basketball. I love female sports, volleyball. They're super athletic, fun to work with. 
softball, super strong, high energy, fun to work with. Tennis was interesting for me, though, man, because the tennis teams there were a lot of international students. So it was a little bit of a language barrier. And that caused me to actually sharpen my coaching a little bit. So I had to use different cues, dumb everything down, make it simple, really teach the movements from a ground level because you can't say certain things like hinge or, you know, like certain general terms we use with coaching, you kind of couldn't use those. So you had to kind of break it things down on a, on a micro level with them because they just, this this is not their first language. A lot of them were, you know, French and things like that. So I would say football, I gravitate towards it for me playing it, it was easy to relate to players, and I feel like they relate to me as well. But I feel like I related to those other sports just as easy, whether it be basketball, volleyball, softball, and even track and field was fun. Uh, it's just such a hodgepodge in track and field because you have so many different athletes. So you have your throwers, your jumpers, your sprinters, your mid-distance, your long distance. So it's a it's a very varied approach working with track and field. So that was, that was a challenge as well. Mm -hmm. hmm. Yeah, for sure. And being involved in such a diverse group in a football team, because there's so many different coaches, there's so many different players. It's just, for me, coming from like a soccer and basketball background, um, fo football's, football teams are enormous, which is crazy. Um, what, like, just communicating between different coaches and communicating between different players, like, what are some of the real, real struggles you have to deal with that you have to overcome being involved with a football team? Um, just aside from, you know, the reps and sets of things where you've got to, you know, win a championship, whatever it might be, but just what, what are some real struggles that you have to overcome in your experience in a, in a big football team? Yeah, man, that's a great question. I would say the hardest part is just trying to manage the actual players and their day-to-day -day stuff, right? Mm -hmm. So we have about 118 players, 120 with the full roster. Damn, um, man, that's huge. Yeah, it's a lot, man. So, of yeah. course, I know all the players, of course, but – they really get to know them, what they're going through in their life. A lot of people go through mental health struggles. They go through real life struggles with family. They're going through academic struggles, athletic struggles, not getting the playing time, failing the mm. class. So it's trying to balance all that, keep their head on straight so they still want to come in, still want to train, and still keep you know football and school the main priority and don't let the outside influences kind of convolute their mind and get them, you know, all over, all, all in sorts about what's going on in their outside life. But, mm -hmm. you know, all that bleeds over into your day-to-day because -day, that's still your real life. Like your, your stuff going on back home, your personal relationships, girlfriend, close friends, all that stuff bleeds in. So I say that's the hardest part, just kind of managing the mind and keeping them on the right path of the training, the football, the academics. Mm -hmm. And what about yourself then? Because like, if you're coming from your own, perspective looking after 120 plus athletes and, and just even remembering their names to let alone remembering their stories and everything that's gone behind the scenes um you know you might forget about you know athlete 99 or 98 for example just their sister's name who's gone through an issue and that's what's really driving them to feel really depressed or down today in training for example you might forget that little detail but what about what about staff like because there's such a great number of stuff some people forget about the staff and how they're doing and how they're managing throughout their day of them worrying about the health and well-being of 120 athletes like how do you keep yourself well uh, and focus towards the goal or towards the um the tasks at hand in your in your day-to-day -day work you know if things behind the scenes are not going so well yeah, that's it's tough, man. Like, I'm not gonna lie to you. I have, you know, nieces and nephews that, you know, look up to me. 
and it's hard to balance the time, right? So I'm guilty as charged. I am absent a little bit in their accomplishments in their life because I am so involved with the athletes I work with with coaching. So I'm not going to lie. I miss some events. Um, I miss some check-ins, some phone calls, some texts, things like that. You know, they're getting older, so now they can text and stuff now, eight, nine, ten years old, things like that. So um, I do miss some of that stuff. Um, also with family, right? I try to do, like, constant check-ins. My mother's in town, so – uh, one thing I do purposefully, I get about one or two pieces of mail sent to our house, like that are on a subscription basis. So regardless, I have to go. If I forget to go, I know I have to go check in on her. So yeah, that's, that's a great idea. Like it's yeah. people would people would think that'd be annoying, but that's a great idea. Yeah, because it's about I mean it's about fifteen minutes from me driving uh, yeah. from work. She lives probably eight minutes from work, but you know how it is the day to day. You kind of forget, like oh mm. man, let me check my mother. So. I keep some mail going there, even though I don't live there anymore. So I could, that's the constant reminder. Okay. I got to go pick that up. And as I pick it up, I check in with her and I make sure I check in on my brothers and sister as well. Cause they have, you know, nieces and nephew, my nieces and nephews. So mm-hmm. I try to check in with them, even if it's just a text or a phone call, whether it's FaceTime, I put them on FaceTime, something real quick and brief. Um, and then I try to make the big events, right? I try to make the birthdays, the Christmas, the Thanksgiving, but the, another unfortunate part about football is um, bowl games, Bowl games usually occur during the Christmas season, so you right. might not be home for Christmas. If you make a New Year's bowl, you won't be home for the New Year. So things like that, you do miss a lot of uh, activities, and um, it is tough to manage. But I, mean, I, I just try my best to stay active, and um, you know, my wife gives me um, some flack about you know not being home enough. So mm-hmm. when I come home, I try to make sure I give her my attention and not just am over consumed on what happened that day or what's going on in the week. So. I try to keep work at work, even though some stuff does bleed over naturally because, you know, people still call you, text you, and mm-hmm. then try to keep my home life, my home life, to keep a healthy balance as best as I can. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's kind of how I, how, I, how I manage, man. Yeah, and that, that, that bleed over is something I think that's really uh, something we should talk about or something we should touch upon because um, let's say, for example, you tell got 120 athletes, which I still can't believe. Um, you know, 50 of them want to ask you a question and they're sitting in, in their dorms or whatever at nine o'clock at night when you're at home with your wife. Um, they message you, they call you, ask you questions for the next day, for example, and then you're trying to relax everything. How, how do you kind of handle that situation? Because that's something that I think a lot of people battle with is that, you know, that bleed over effect of leaving your work at work, but then you're getting messages all the time from these athletes who aren't as, you know, they're younger, they haven't got families or they haven't got other commitments outside of football or school. Um, yeah, so I'm open, open door, open phone policy. So the guys can hit me whenever. I'm not gonna lie, they hit me past like 10:30. I'm probably not answering the phone, but I will text back just because I can't give my full attention to a phone call. This is an emergency. Okay, then I'll call them back. But a lot of times they might ask, "Hey, do we have lifts tomorrow?" Or something simple, and then I'll shoot a little quick text back. But uh, when I come home and it's nighttime, I just swipe the iPhone down, D and D, man. So. If it's pressing, I'll get it. If it's just a normal message, sometimes, you know, it doesn't come through. But if it's like a double message or like a double call, you know, it usually automatically comes through. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, you still got to be there for them, right, man? Because I think about, you know, their lives. Some of them don't have father figures. They don't have older brothers and, um, you know, positive re- male role models in their life. So I try to provide that as best as I can, whether it be through mentorship, um, you know, life advice, you know, sporting advice training, whatever the case is, advice. So uh, it's kind of my duty to be present in that regard without overlapping too much in my day-to-day. So kind of just have a cutoff time at night where I'm not really responding. 
And then once I go to sleep, I'm probably usually shutting it down around 11, 1130. So mm-hmm. if, if I see a message, I'm going to reply super early in the morning just so they could wake up and see, okay, I shot them back a text message or something like that. Because mm. we all know there's always that one. There's always that one that just doesn't sleep till 2 a.m. or something. Yeah, 2.30 a.m. Oh, you'll get a, you'll get a yeah, text. Yeah. yeah, like actually, like what if I do this tomorrow? Just like, oh, I'll just message Jason and he'll, he won't bother. It's like, geez, yeah, give, me, give me a break. Um, mate, uh, what what would you, do you think you could recall the first time that you've experienced or you've had any kind of, um, or your, your first experience of being vulnerable in your workplace? Oh, vulnerable, man. My first experience would probably have to be in, in general, in my career, yeah, man, I have to say, grad school. It was yeah. a, it was a big culture shock to me uh, moving to Georgia. Uh, I grew up in PG County. I never really left the area. I went to Howard University, which is in DC. It's probably twenty five minutes away. Um, moving to Macon, Georgia, which is about two hours from Atlanta, it's middle Georgia. Big culture shock for me, just being around different environment, different surroundings, and the athletes were kind of like my safe space. So I kind of used them to help acclimate me to the area, um, to the new things. Okay, for instance, right, gun laws here are not super open, right? So something mm-hmm. like in the store, you're not going to see a gun on somebody's hip. You can have an open carry license, but it's very rare. I mean, you, you're, you're in Macon, Georgia. I walk into a Walmart, you're seeing guns on hips, you're seeing all that kind of stuff. So it was just different. So mm-hmm. I kind of used those athletes to help me, you know, navigate the area and just, um, you know, learn the area as well because – it was a new time for me, and I didn't even have a car down there. I was uh, on my on my two feet, man. Mm-hmm. Mate, that's crazy. I, I'm like when I, I moved up to America and lived up there for four years, and just for us in Australia, gun laws are completely different from over there. And um, I think the first thing I had at university was just you know you have no smoking signs, for example. But when we walked up the door, there was a no gun in this room sign. I was just like, oh, that's okay, that's normal. Um, yeah. But then I would, I would get lifts from school to the grocery store because it didn't like i didn't have my car when you're on your two feet like you said um and the person i if you didn't get someone from the team we would help someone out from college or from school uh, and they're like oh yeah there's i got my, my handgun in my glove compartment they're like yeah no no you don't bullshit uh, <laughs> no 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 go ahead and check it out open it up and open up the glove compartment and there's the handgun holding there which are, like for me that's completely foreign um, yeah, you know, you only you only really see them on the waist of policemen down here, or um, in the in in films, unless you're you've got your own gun license or you're really part of something different here in Australia. So I see that gun right in front of me. I'm just done shitting myself. Like, oh, what am I doing? Yeah, it's different, man. It's different. Yeah. But I know what you mean. Where'd you I live in the state? Where'd you I, live? I lived in New Jersey for two years, and then I went down to Mississippi, which was interesting uh and yeah. then and then i went up to chicago for the last year and uh yeah it was great great experience i wouldn't change a thing so it was my questionable decisions on some decisions i did but uh i wouldn't change a thing because it was insane <laughs> oh, that's dope chicago's a nice city chicago is unreal it's very much low like a bigger melbourne so anytime you come down to melbourne you'll be able to see that it looks like chicago now you're playing in chicago this weekend right or next weekend uh next weekend yeah, we actually have northwestern which is uh i believe yeah it's in chicago yep Nice. I know it's in Illinois. I want to say Chicago. I know it's in Illinois, but I want to say it's in Chicago. Yeah. Now, the next thing I want to ask you, mate, is your um, what you consider, um, in your in your role as the AD at at, at Maryland, um, how much do you consider uh, like mental well being and mental performance 
in a high performance program obviously you're looking towards the strength conditioning side of things but you have such a high exposure to these athletes all the time you're on the floor with them all the time how much do you value like the mental well-being side of things in a high performance program oh man it's vital so we actually have a head coach mike loxley who's a a big champion for mental health. We actually have multiple mental uh, health coaches on staff to help guys with that because you know how you view it. You can be well physically. Mm-hmm. You could be well, you know, in the classroom. If your mental isn't right, you're not going to perform at your best ability. So we're big on that, you know, check-ins with guys um, without being too pushy, you know, kind of recommend they go see the mental health coaches, you know, a little check-ins, things like that without getting too much in the business. Cause um some it's still a taboo issue, right? Some guys don't like admitting they have mental health issues. So you don't want to force the issue and now they resent you for it. And now that, you know, they don't talk to it, they don't open up to you anymore, but you want to kind of just keep that open door policy where they can talk to you about certain issues and just know they do have help. If something arises where they really need to talk to somebody with a a big issue or, you know, traumatic experience going on in their life. So now we're very big on that for this peak performance. I think is vital. Um, I feel like if your mental's not right, like I said, you're not going to be at the top of your game, man. It's going to be little things eating away at you, mistakes, errors, um, just little things like that are going to arise without that. And if you're, if you consider all these different aspects of wellness in your work, rather than just you know re- walking up to the program and being responsible for the lifting of the day, um, what what do you do to um, help you what am i trying to ask this like do you know your own limits and what do you do to to not make yourself feel overwhelmed in your work if it's like a clinical diagnosis i'm not gonna lie to you i'm not too uh, versed in that i might kind of stare clear of that i don't want to jump in say the wrong thing and it's a trigger but you know just general day-to-day stresses and experiences that i could probably relate to that's something i might have gone through in my life Mm-hmm. I just try to make sure I talk to the guys, man. So one thing I do um, consciously, right, every meal, you know, I sit up and eat. I make sure I just sit with different guys. We talk, we chop it up about what's going on, life, things like that. Cool. And it's That's an easy cool. way to do it over a meal, right? Because sometimes in, in, in a workout session, there's 40 other athletes around. Some people don't want to be vulnerable in that space. Mm-hmm. But, you know, in the cafeteria, it might be three to four at a table. So now it's a much easier exchange of what's going on and, um, advice and things like that so that's kind of my approach and also locker room right we're in the locker room we do do body weights and just checking in on guys and things like that that's another easy way to kind of hit guys and see uh what they're up to and you can see it on a guy's face a lot of times too right you see a guy in his locker head down you know you could you could tell when somebody's visibly stressed right their face look they look tired eyes look a little sunken kind of a a down or sad look on their face and just easy check-ins like i said without being too pushy though so if they're not willing to open up, I'll stop there. If they're willing to open up and, and exchange, then I'm going to open up and uh, be vulnerable with them as well. And so it's an easier exchange between the both of us. Mm. Yeah, I like that. That's definitely true. Like it's easier alongside a meal. I think that's a good like way to to start those off, to start those conversations off for sure. A crazy stat though. I heard this from a guy. Men bond face-to-face men and women bond side by side. So that's an interesting stat. So if you look at most activities men do, it's usually kind of a, no, so, no, sorry, sorry, sorry. I said that wrong. Men bond side by side, whether it's eating, something like that. Men and women bond face to face. So if you're usually sitting with the man, 
you know, you might be side by side, you're in the car, you're playing video mm -hmm. games. With a woman at dinner, it's usually, you know, you're face to face and things like mm -hmm. that. So just a little bit about, you know, space and um, conversational styles and things like that. Yeah, I like that. Yeah, I like that. And it's kind of like, I know if it's something that, like you're side by side, you're also, you're like, that's how you're interacting, but you're also focusing on something else, maybe. A lot, a lot of men do that at the same time when they bond. Like they, they're playing video exactly, games, yeah. they're, they're chatting about whatever's going on the weekend. Um, or, you know, they're, they're bonding while they're watching a football game or whatever it might be. Whereas you do that with your with your wife or your partner, they'll look at you, they'll, they'll scream at you and they say, give me attention. Yeah, yeah, I need more attention. I need to be face to face with you. Exactly. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> All right, that could be a whole other podcast. We can talk, we can go about that later. Um, uh, the next thing I want to ask you, mate, and uh, like I said, I don't want to take too much more of your time, but uh, I ask this for most of the guys that come on the podcast and it's um, just uh, give you an idea um, or to give the audience an idea of some major influences that have had an effect on your career to date. Uh, and these, so I want you to give me, think of the three things, and these could be as broad as you want. It could be family, it could be a book, course, experience, mentors, whatever it might be, uh, education, just three major things you think have had a big influence in your career to date. What, what do you think? Um, let's see. I'll start with my grad school experience. Mm -hmm. um that was my first in-depth coaching experience I, I had so just being kind of thrown to the fire there was no like oh let's ease you along it's like okay you get there I think we had about a week to prep and then boom you got your four or five teams you're mm -hmm. helping out with all the major teams and you're just going and I'm um, there was a guy named John Mangle and Cole Miller very instrumental in my development coming up as a uh, grad assistant I'm forever grateful to them for that and then that ties into my one of my mentors, Rodney Hill, who kind of started me in the profession. Mm -hmm. And honestly, I didn't want to be a strength coach, man. I'm gonna tell you, like I thought it was waste of time, not enough money. And I was like, I'm, I won't really do that, man. I'm gonna try something else. I'm gonna get it another way. But um, you know, he kind of instilled confidence in me at a young age. We're actually the same age, but he was further along in his strength and conditioning career than I was because I was still kind of in that physical therapy uh, realm, trying to pursue that. And, you know, he just instilled confidence in me that, you know, I could be a good coach one day if I just stick to it. Mm -hmm. And um, he saw traits in me that he liked as a coach. So that gave me reassurance and mm -hmm. made me pursue uh, strength and conditioning a bit more. Um, let me see other mentors. I would say Alan Bishop at University of Houston. Um, he opened my eyes to a whole new world of training, uh, very advanced with the nutrition protocols, the training, everything laser detailed. And to piggyback off of that, um, he came up under Dave Show's crazy small world because after I was at Houston, I went to Texas Tech to work for his mentor and Dave Show's. So uh, those two I learned a lot from. And then now with uh, Coach Ryan Davis at Maryland, um, he's very probably the best speaker I've been around, great coach, and um, places a big emphasis on, like you said earlier, the mental well-being mm -hmm. and uh, physical preparedness of the athletes. And that's one thing I haven't seen done at a high level before. So seeing the attention he focuses on that was uh, very eye-opening to me. And then, of course, family, right? Family is like the driving factor. So my mother, raised single mother. Um, my biggest thing is to, for my mother to say she's proud of me in life, right? So no matter what I do, can she tell her friends and her, you know, her, her loved ones that she's proud of her son? That's kind of how I use, that's like my guiding principle to do the things that I do and keep trying to progress in uh, this field and whatever I choose to do uh, here on after. Mm.
So your mum's a massive part of your life. Yeah, most definitely. Good on you, mate. Good on you and really good answers. And um, everything you said today, I think a lot of people will get out of, especially uh, the guys in the collegiate system working their way through the ranks. And like you said, people who are just coming out of their degree and looking to, like you said earlier, like looking to really just apply for 10 jobs a day and trying to find something because there's people all around who are in the similar situations who are dealing with, you know, who knows what in the background, but um, are pushing through an industry that's quite hard. So thanks for sharing your story, mate. It's been a real good ride. Um, hang on for a sec. I'm a bit of a chat, but in terms of the podcast, we're, we're done for the day. So, oh, also I'll attach all your communication stuff on to the show notes so people could reach out to you. But uh, okay. I've really, really appreciated your time. No, I appreciate you, man. And one more thing. Hit me up. For you know, young coaches, uh, strength and condition, honestly, man, most of the times it's a game of attrition. If you look around with a lot of guys that you know you might come or or females that you come in the profession with, a lot of them quit before their big break comes or just, you know, pivot. A lot of times you just stay down and stay humble and keep working towards your goals. That's when it comes through for you. A lot of people don't coach more than five years if you look at the numbers. So I would say a big part of it is a game of attrition. Mm-hmm. 100%. And like you said before, and your influences about your mentors is um, how one led to the next or to the next. And it was like uh, a small world. It was a very small world. How one person uh, knew one connection, then you worked in another job, and there was someone there you already had interactions with in the past. Like, I think that is, it is a, such a tough and fresh still industry, both in Australia and, and over in the States. Uh, but the community is so tight. You know, a lot of people, you know, a lot of people that know a lot of people. So it's, it's great. Most definitely. Thanks, mate. All right, we'll uh, we'll end it then. We'll uh, speak soon. Thanks, man. Appreciate you, boss. So thank you to Jason for uh, this episode of the podcast. Let me get over his time uh, late at night over in the United States, over in Maryland. Uh, and like he says, if you don't know where Maryland is, just go ahead and look it up because it is still a beautiful place over in the States. Um, and yeah, obviously a big day for him. It's good to get your insight in the collegiate system um, and obviously get all the little bits and bobs that you gave as advice for uh, a young up-to-coming strength conditioning coaches in what you call the, the game of attrition. Like you, you hit the nail on the head there, mate. As it is, if you stay true to your craft and to your passion, you, you'll outlast some other people who give up quite easily. So um, thank you very much, mate, and thank you to Stance for providing the music for this episode and also to... Um, uh, team builder for sponsoring this, for sponsoring this episode and everyone listening in thank you very much uh, obviously this podcast wouldn't operate without you guys um, and until next episode